1: Welcome back, family. Glad you are here for another episode of We're Going There because today we are doing just that. The interview with today's guest went nothing like expected, and I'm truly grateful it didn't. Dr. Anita Phillips is a learner, teacher, and therapist who spits wisdom like rappers spit bars. We're going to talk about some tough stuff today, so gird your loins and be forewarned. And though your story might not be her story or your experience, her experience, I do know that all of us have experienced a feeling of rejection. So with that lens and filter, let's have a quick conversation about creating a safe place for conversation. When it comes to experiencing rejection, psychologists have discovered that the same part of the brain that registers and reacts to physical pain is also activated when encountering an emotional pain of feeling excluded. Like the hurt that you feel when you feel left out, it registers in the same part of your brain as when you feel a physical hurt of, let's say, stubbing your toe. Feeling like an outsider desperately looking in can be emotionally excruciating. Social psychologists have identified numerous consequences to feeling left out, including increased feelings of anger, anxiety, depression, and jealousy, reduced motivation, lack of self-control, difficulty sleeping, and yes, lower self-esteem. Unfortunately, the same fears of rejection that we have felt based on how we've been treated by others is also what prevents us from reaching out to others who might be experiencing the pains of exclusion. Thankfully, there's an anecdote to feeling left out. We need to create psychological safety. Psychological safety refers to the security we need to feel confident in taking risk in our relationship with others. It's the emotional parachute we need before we'll even consider jumping out of the plane. When we feel psychologically safe, we're more likely to take chances because we have confidence in belonging to someone or something. However, it's all too easy to place the responsibility for creating a sense of belonging on the people around us developing expectations that others need to reach out to us instead of the other way around. But what if we could create our own sense of psychological safety in order to help propel us to reach out to the outsider? Creating a sense of belonging is as simple and complex as defining whom and what you belong to. Jesus reached out to the least of these because he knew his identity and belonging was rooted definitively in bearing the image and being one with the Father. The beautiful thing is we hold the juxtaposition of being both fellow image bearers and fellow least of these. We already have a place of belonging. And if we are willing to commit to a biblical understanding of this instead of an earthly one, we can create our own psychological safety. But what happens when the place where we want to experience psychological safety, a.k.a. the church, isn't safe? On today's podcast, I have a conversation with the brilliant and beautiful Dr. Anita Phillips. In fact, here's some real talk before we get started. Ah, wow, Lee, you look amazing. Yeah. Praise the Lord. You know they say black don't crack, girl. A good jeans, Good jeans, for real. That's all. <laughs> I pray that you have an open mind, open heart, and open ears to hear the true stories of what many black Americans and those on the outside feel in church experiences. I hope that we learn to do better and be better. Dr. Anita, thank you for being on. We're going there. I low-key am fangirling and super excited about the conversation. So thank you for being here.
0: I love the name of this podcast. We're going there. Let's totally go there. I love so that. I'm
1: giving you permission, as I give every single guest, you have permission to say whatever, however, whenever. So it's green light, green light, green light. I just like to run it kind of like a party. We talk over each other. And we've never formally met, but I have... I have listened to your podcast. I have seen you speak at conferences digitally because of COVID and all this other stuff, but I am just, I am absorbing your wisdom and um, anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a minute or has read any of my books know that I'm an ardent fan of counseling and therapy. And I think that your voice is such a knife in what feels like this thick noise filled culture. And so Mm. thank you for being here.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to say whatever and uh, (laughs) pleased to meet you as well, at least sort of meet you face to face. Uh, I think it is really important for us to keep having this conversation.
1: I love it. Okay. So before I dive into any more of like the therapeutic talk, I want people to get like Mm -hmm. a little sense of you. And so I want to do a couple (laughs) rapid fire questions because I don't think that Mm. you you are just and only a therapist and brilliant mind. I think you're so much more than that. And I want people to like kind of get a background of that. So a couple warm up questions uh, tell me about a time when you, and this is the dot, 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 when you felt like you didn't know what to do. Oh,
0: <laughs> I feel like that plenty. Um, <laughs> I, tend to wake, I tend to wake up generally discombobulated. So I'm not a super structured person in terms of the way that I live. Um, I'm uh, pretty free flowing so sometimes I definitely have to stop and ask myself like Anita what's the thing you should probably do next instead of knowing like a
1: schedule plan. So this I is already like- give me freedom, girl. Let's give me freedom. Yeah, I because- <laughs> think I feel like that every day. <laughs> I, I actually saw something on Instagram this week where you posted like a meme of like, what normal people look like when they wake up from bed. Oh, right. And it's like this little, you know, little little creature waking up. Yeah. Dropping, happy, gets out of bed and makes his bed. And then the other <laughs> creature is like, what, like flipping around in bed, not wanting to get out. So that just blessed me. I am um, not a morning person. Okay. Question number two. What was the hardest part about quarantine?
0: Mm. I think the hardest part about quarantine for me, I'm deeply introverted. Now, I know a lot of people say they're introverted, but most of them aren't really introverted. I'm the real deal. So staying inside wasn't hard for me, but everyone else had to stay inside. So I was not here alone. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a, a, I need a lot of alone time to remain emotionally well and balanced. It's just how I'm built. And so to have everyone home all the time, all day, while I love spending extra time with my family, I definitely, after a few weeks, started feeling that excessive amount of company.
1: I love it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Question number three. Who are three people who have helped you become who you are today? Mm.
0: Wow. So first, definitely I would say my parents, and not to be cliche, but it just is true. You know, my parents are pastors, they've been pastor for 45 years. My dad is super, super brilliant and a very critical thinker and mm. challenges norms. And so I definitely absorb that from him. He's also a really um, good teacher. So I absorbed a lot of that from him. And then my mom is just like fiery Pentecostal evangelist preacher woman. And she uh, broke a lot of barriers in our denomination in our region of the country where women preachers were concerned. And so mm-hmm. from her, I definitely get that intensity of communication that stand your ground and don't let anyone tell you, um, who it is that you are. It's fine if other people are confused about who you are, but don't you be confused about yeah. who you are. And so between the two of them, I really am, um, who I am now. So I don't know if we want to count them as one or count them as two, but we'll
1: count them as two. we We'll count. All right. Two. So that's two people.
0: <laughs> and then, um, after that, I would have to say, Ooh, that's tough. Um, I'd have to say my husband, because he's just loved me into a better version of myself. And we've been married, we'll be married 25 years this summer. And wow, congratulations! While we thank you, it's glory to God. We have <laughs> not hung in here. But while so many people will tell single women, um, you know, hey, you know, use this time to heal. God's preparing you for your husband. And, and maybe he is, but my husband married a really messy version of me a broken messy version of me and his ability to love me. Like Jesus loves me uh, was transformative. I would not be the woman that I am now without him. So
1: those would be my it. I love it. And what would you change about what happened during 2020?
0: What would I change? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (sighs) I would change the response of the church. To issues of race. And I would especially like to see many of my white evangelical brothers and sisters change their response to the members of the body who are Black and of color. I would like to see that heart change. That would mean everything. That's the one thing I would change because as we look like Jesus and be the body of Jesus for real, the body of Christ for real, all of the other problems we deal with in this world will fall like dominoes.
1: Listen, I said that we're going there and I feel like this is such a perfect dovetail into that because this was not in the questions that I thought I was gonna ask you, Mm -hmm. but it's so close to your heart. Yeah. So close to my heart. As someone who was raised in ministry, as someone who was raised Mm -hmm. in the hood of Los Angeles, East Los Angeles, as someone who's raised in church, because my daddy's a pastor, daddy's a preacher, mm-hmm. still is, still to this day, thirty-seven years. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't foresee the conversation going this way, but I do think that in this healthy roundabout way, I want to talk about, I want to talk about some of the stuff that we've walked out of in twenty twenty. I would love to resource listeners from
0: around. Are we out? Did we walk out?
1: Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, this is, again, I told you, I told you, you have green light sister. So this is what I want us to do. I want to give a little bit of context for that last statement. Mm -hmm. I want you to kind of unpack that. And then everything else is we're going with the flow and how, how this podcast is going to be used is going to be used. And I want to hear your thoughts on it. So let's start there. So context matters and though we are in 2021, 2020 was such a jarring year for so many, I mean, for the globe. I think for uh, for in the last hundred years, this is one thing that has affected every single continent, every single country, every single community and uh, from race relations to political injustice to a global pandemic. But one of the things that really surfaced in 2020 is that everyone had the ability to like pause and recognize the injustice that was happening from a racial standpoint. But what hurt me the most was the stance of the church. So we have in our church, we are, we just celebrated two years of our baby church during the pandemic, especially after the death of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery. Like everything just happened so fast. And our church is, I don't, you know, a lot of people say they're a multicultural church, but we legit multicultural. And we're in Orange County, which is not a very multicultural like community. So yeah. we have people literally, where white is the minority in our church and mm. so my husband and I my husband is white he's from the midwest I'm Mexican I'm born and raised in California Los Angeles got to represent hold it down for LA and OC all right now come on but one of the things that we were not expecting was people to leave our church not because we were being political not because we were talking about someone who was in presidency or who we were voting for but simply speaking doctrine speaking biblical I had tons of negative backlash our church Mm. did a hope rally where we walked in the name of hope to represent our black brothers and sisters and people of color who have been marginalized and oppressed we prayed for cops afterwards and we had people walk out the church we i was i was raked over hot coals now i have Mm. i have been very silent about this because i don't want to make it something it's not i'm not trying to stand on the platform i'm just saying this is what we did and this was the byproduct Mm -hmm. of it from your trained theological and also psychological background. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you learn? And what do you say to this, which is is still happening. It's still going. Yeah.
0: On? Yeah. First of all, just um, I want to acknowledge the pain that you just expressed because I heard you say I haven't talked about this. And so mm-hmm. people may not know how much pain you are in as a pastor's pastor's wife. Um, A pastor's kid. I think I'm a PK. I'm a multi generational pastor's kid. I'm my mother is a pastor's wife. My grandmother is a pastor's wife. This is what I come from. So I love the church. I have a deep love for church, and when there's pain inside the church, it's very personal to me. And I I think I hear that from you as well. Mm -hmm. And to say that you were raked over the coals, like I know that that means you are in pain. And for Mm -hmm. people to leave, I, I saw an Instagram post from a pastor that really cut cut my heart for him. It was a white pastor who posted it and and he said what hurt the most was that people who he had performed marriage ceremonies for, who he had whose hands he held while their loved ones died, whose babies he had christened like whose marriages he had spent hours counseling to help them rebuild their marriage, like mm-hmm. these personal things that he poured into their lives left the church because of discussions about race and also he mentioned about wearing masks for covid which is a whole separate issue but the fact that people were willing to leave his church for that after the way that he had labored personally in their lives and just how painful that was so i think what you just said is important to acknowledge that there are a lot of pastors are in a lot of pain about this because Mm -hmm. people left the church for that reason. And that does hurt, you know, we're Mm -hmm. human beings, right? And we know we don't own people and they come and go in congregations, but for that kind of exodus, for that reason was very painful. Mm -hmm. And just want to acknowledge that for you. you. Thank you. You know, what was painful for me definitely was many of the comments that I would receive as I'm posting, you know, where people wanted to argue the DMs, the emails about that were suggesting that I was somehow straying from the true path of Christ by talking about this, you know, I'm disappointed disappointed in you. I thought you were a Christian because people come to my platform for different reasons. So I had people follow me in mass because of the conversation that I had with Christine Kane about race in the church, but I also have people following me in mass for mental health. So they might've come to me about mental health, but then when I started talking about race, they were upset about that and then they would leave. And so they were disappointed in me, thought I was a Christian, you know, and I was just like, are we... Saying who's Christian and who's not—I mean, it was just the willingness to cut cold and cut deep—that was so painful. But also, just as Black Americans in particular in this country, we are—we have the highest rate of Christian profession of any ethnic group in this country. Mm-hmm percentage-wise, we are the most Christian group in this country. We are the most uh, populous group to confess that we are Christians. We are most likely to believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. Even among Black Americans who have been surveyed who did not profess explicit belief in the Bible or did not consider themselves Christian, often still go to church. So Mm -hmm. I mean, like, we are just like, Christ people and and the extent to which we have maintained our grip on Christ, despite the constant attacks in that arena, despite being forbidden to worship together in churches with white Americans, you know, slavery and then post-slavery, despite having our churches burned and crosses burned. And just, you know, our religion, our faith always seems to be the point of attack for the most extreme racial attacks, all the way to the Charleston Nine being shot in 2015, the fact that we still hold on to Jesus is a miracle. And then to see the backlash that we received from the church fresh last year, it just hurts so deeply. There were encouragements. Now, I I, I don't downplay it at all. We did see the most multiracial response in the church that we've ever seen in history but that's a low bar, right? But we did see it. And I'm really excited about that. And so I think a lot of people did speak out that haven't spoken out before. And that's wonderful. But the larger narrative was that we are incorrect about our own experience, Mm -hmm. that systemic racism doesn't exist, that we're not having experiences that are patterned responses to race. And that was difficult to me, because it was just like, you don't, if you really see me as your brother, or sister in Christ, like how do you reject our story about our lives, you know, and then find, you know, a handful of black Americans that you find on a platform who are agreeing with you and then go with them. You know what I'm saying? Like that that hurt it hurt a lot and i have a um, question in regards think, yeah oh, go ahead
1: really quick yeah, sure. i have a question because i don't know if this is something that you saw or if this was just like an outsider perspective because i'm a person of color but i'm i'm not black and your right, narrative right. is very different than my narrative but one of mm-hmm. the things that i i found surprising in 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 being a pastor and watching other pastors was yes we did see a support rise up, which was I thought mm-hmm. was beautiful, the highest that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. But I also saw the vitriol and hatred rise up of this other as well. Like it, it, okay, great. So I thought it was I'm like, is it just me or has no, people and it's it under was. the flag of old oh, kingdom culture above all. Listen, oh I'm gosh. a child of God and a daughter of God before I am brown, before I'm female, before I'm a wife, yeah. before I'm a stepmom, before I'm a, oh, yes, I get that. But we have to just pause and recognize there's a grave injustice. So yeah. Yeah. I'm glad i okay. So, so can you unpack no, a little bit was, of what that experience was was like ugly. for you? Let me talk to you about better help in 2021. It's definitely okay to talk about our mental and emotional happiness. Humans aren't meant to keep everything inside and therapy helps, but what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, don't be ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to worry about seeing anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about See if it's for you, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we're going there. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash W G T. That's better dot com slash W G T for we're going there.
0: You know what I saw what we saw was this uh, an absence of love an absence mm-hmm. of humility. So those are the challenges. It was to me there was just some of the attacks were just so antithetical to Christian character. You know what I mean? It was just like, do you even hear how you sound? Why are you attacking me like this? And and on occasion when I had the strength and on a day when I had the strength and the energy and the balance, I would respond to some of those comments on my Instagram or whatever and actually see people kind of change their tune a bit because they could see that they really were being unchristian in their approach and so the lack of love and the lack of humility was jarring but what i have continued to try to point out to people is how much our cultural perspective impacts the way we do Jesus. And that Mm. it's not so much about deconstructing faith, because you hear people talk a lot about, well, I'm deconstructing my faith, which means I'm questioning what I believe. I don't, I've never felt the need to deconstruct my faith, but I have felt the need to deconstruct myself. And there is an unwillingness among people to deconstruct themselves. What role is my personality, my inborn personality playing and how Ooh. I see this? What role is my family's perspective playing in this? Am I allowing my personal experience to override the experience of someone else? And people could say, well, you had that experience and I had this experience. But if I'm a black American I'm telling you the experiences I've had as a result of being a black American and you are not one your experience doesn't get to win, (laughs) like, you know, so I think that is really the challenge, is a refusal to deconstruct ourselves, to realize that when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not a blank page, we are not a blank slate, we receive it into a preformed vessel, and so then our perspectives taint and bias the way that we engage with Christ, and the way that we engage with scripture, And then we take that piece that's attractive to us and make it the whole thing. And that's how the schisms come into the body. And so for me, the challenge is not about deconstructing faith and it's not about having a scriptural argument because one person can find a scripture that says this and they say you know we are not of this world the bible says we who were no people are now a people so we shouldn't be talking about who we are as a people but then another person has a scripture about the oppressor and not envying his ways we're not having a scriptural battle we're having a cultural argument we're having a personal argument and we're using scripture as our weaponry and so this weaponization of scripture is very dangerous so you rarely hear me talking about scripture in terms of this battle I focus very much in on what the Bible shows us about how we ought to behave as a body that part is really critical and when we look at the body of Christ race is one of the great dividers in the body Mm -hmm. of Christ but we see the divisions of race and ethnicity overlap divisions of doctrine very often and so we need to recognize yeah. that a lot of our doctrinal perspectives are culturally directed. For instance, I was raised in the Church of God in Christ. So I was raised a Pentecostal Kojic. girl. okay. Oh yeah, Kojic, oh, yes. my parents are still Kojic pastor, yep. 45 years. So I'm <laughs> raised in Kojic, right? So that's a really significant organization because it was founded by... Black people, Mm -hmm. and the statement of faith was written by Black people. This is different than, say, the National Baptist Convention, which is a Black Baptist organization, but they took the original statement of faith from the white Baptist organization and, and have kept it. You can really hear all throughout Church of God in Christ what Black worldview sounds like and how we approach the world. But if you look at Pentecostals globally, Black people and people of color are disproportionately high number of Pentecostals. And that's because if you look again, many communities of color tend to have a more spiritual worldview. They are more interested in the divine, more interested in the invisible realm. Absolutely. The ethnic perspective of most Mexicans and Mexican-Americans is <laughs> much more spiritual. That's right. right. That's and right, what people girl. people have to recognize <laughs> about, and I know you're, as you say, Mexican. What people <laughs> have to recognize both about Mexican people and Puerto Ricans as well is what we're really talking about is indigenous peoples. Yeah. These are really, you know, what we're calling Mexican really is, the indigenous people who lived there, Native Americans, um, who were colonized by a Spanish-speaking country, whereas the United States was colonized by English-speaking. So that's made the language different, but it's not the language. It's the group of people who pre-existed the colonization, right? And so we bring that with us to our relationship with Christ. And that changes the way we do it. And then we think that the way we do it is the only way to do it. And so when I look at first Corinthians 12, talking about the body needing to be one and that we should not say, well, if I'm not the ear, I'm not the body. If you're not the eye, you're not the body. People say, well, that's about spiritual gifts. I say, yeah, but look how the spiritual gifts that we embrace and seek map on to us racially. Right. We'll really see some distinction. So underneath it, there's the belief system that we brought with us with us to our christianity and if we have not deconstructed ourselves then when we put on christ we make we do make provision for the flesh because we have not deconstructed ourselves and making Uh. provision for the flesh is about more than committing a sin or not committing a sin it's about not letting the scales fall from my eyes not renewing my mind and renewing the mind is about having the mind become a filter for worldly perspectives to come in and taint my heart and my spirit. Renewing my mind is not just about following a new set of rules. It's more than that. And we have not been taught how to deconstruct ourselves. And this Western culture especially does not celebrate that kind of introspection. It doesn't Mm -hmm. celebrate me taking the time to recognize that I am not a fully self-made individual, but that other forces have shaped who I am and how I see the world mm. that aren't related to my, the amount of melanin in my skin, but to the communities in which I was shaped. Absolutely. Let's not Absolutely. confuse culture with melanin. Yes. <laughs> because they're not the same thing.
1: Okay. So Dr. Anita, you are taking this yeah. to school and I'm here for it. So okay. please, please keep going. Now, mm-hmm. when we spoke about what was going on in church and yeah. how our brothers and sisters are are really still to this day in 2021, reeling from not just what happened in 2020 to their people, but the re- reality and the realization that we're still here after so many years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I'll never forget one Sunday that we expressly preached about our response as a church and where we stand. I have, in you know, Orange County, California, for those that don't know, is predominantly white. It's an affluent uh-huh. area. And I had three different African-American and black brothers and sisters come up to me two of them were in tears saying, oh, it's gonna make me emotional, I about it now. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. It's
0: okay. I'm sure it meant a lot to them that you took the time to say anything.
1: And that's what they said. They mm-hmm. said that they've never had a shepherd say that if you're gonna attack me, you have to go through my shepherd. And so that's what I said in the message. Sorry, when I cry, I become sheep woman. Hold on, <laughs> ah, hold on, okay. My best friends growing up mm-hmm. were mixed and black. My right? first person I ever hired in my life, like these are my these, these aren't just congregants. These are my mm-hmm. family. And when one part of the body aches, sorry, I need to get control that's, of my voice. That's no, you
0: don't. And first of all, as you're right. Saying, I'm talking to a therapist. Expression <laughs> is completely fine. <laughs> a little too hard to control those things. It means something to you. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. And
1: it it cuts so deep. So, um, so the question that I, I don't want to move too fast over is there, you mentioned church hurt earlier. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't wanna leave the hurt. I'm okay with the pain, I'm okay with the tension. We wanna mm-hmm. jump from Jesus on the cross on Friday to his resurrection on Sunday, and I'm okay with the Saturday. And I feel that's where we are as a church, especially with a lot of mm. uh, people of color, and marginalized. And so um, in this proverbial Saturday moment, how, how can we deal with loved ones that are experiencing church? And what I'm seeing is, mm. and even just like people that I'm seeing online is a lot of my black brothers and sisters are leaving the church, not to find a different church or someone where they resonate. They're just leaving church period. And I'm yeah. like, and, and so, and then, and so what we're saying, I would say now is that people are starting to trickle into our church. We're still, you know, um, because of COVID restrictions and that sort of stuff, people are trickling in and we're seeing a lot of broken, angry people that, like our church is kind of like their last ditch hope because they see how diverse our church is and they see, mm-hmm. you know, that even we're an interracial couple and we're co-leading, which is a different paradigm for a lot of mm-hmm. churches. And yeah, so, so one, how can I love my brothers and sisters who are, who are hurt, but I also don't want to just let them be wound lickers, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I hear so much talk about deconstructing faith, but you really flip the script about deconstructing our lives So Mm -hmm. as a leader, as a pastor, and those attending churches that are trying to love their Black brothers and sisters, what do we do? And for those that are hurt, what would you tell them? Because I'm going to steal what you tell them, and I'm going to tell it myself. (laughs) So I was giving you a little (laughs) heads up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So for the example that you gave about having spoken out on a particular Sunday about the issue and then having Black members come to you saying thank you, i like to point out that at the risk of speaking for the majority of us, we really aren't even asking for that much you know, like (laughs) opposed. It's like, gee, thanks. You know, saying something from the pulpit. Thanks. Not being silent when a member leaves because you spoke truth. Thank you. Like that creates an environment of safety. Right. And so one white pastor that I know from Alabama said to me, you know, Hey, when I preach about sin, if I, whether, whatever 10 commandments you want to go pick. And when I preach about sin, Um, If someone leaves my church because I preach about sin, I've never worried about that. I know I have to speak the truth and love. But so why would I worry if people, you know, might leave because I preach about the sin of racism? Like, I I have to keep speaking truth. And so being willing to stand up like that, it creates an environment of safety. You're dealing with a group of people who has been traumatized. Um, And I did an episode on my podcast last season called The Betrayal. I heard everywhere. it, girl. I yeah, heard it. Yeah, that young oh. woman. Did she not just, you know, break our hearts telling the story of how wounded she was in, in a mixed race but white-led congregation where she really suffered some racial trauma, right? right. So let's talk about trauma because the word trauma yeah. has become more common in our culture, and I appreciate that because it's something that needs to be dealt with. But it's not – a trauma isn't just a bad day. It's something that really changes you in a way that causes you to respond differently to things that are connected to the trauma, right? So she Mm -hmm. talked about the fact that she was still struggling to listen to worship music because it took her right back into the space because she was a worship leader there. So when people come into your church carrying racial trauma, the first thing we do for people who have been traumatized is to create a safe space for them. And safety is a healing agent. So mm-hmm. we began to create the safe space. And so I don't think we I mean, need to worry quickly about people licking their wounds or wallowing in their wounds. Um, I think that people innately want to be well. And mm-hmm. so I reject those kind of, you know, popular social media things. Some people just don't want to be better. I don't believe that. I mm-hmm. believe that we all are growth oriented, but it depends on the depth of the injury, the amount of safety and support that surrounds someone that can give them the the that they need to heal. And so just creating a safe space is what Mm. is necessary. If people are continuing to struggle after finding a spiritually safe space in your congregation, you can encourage them, hey, to go to counseling, to talk about it, because trauma from that perspective is both spiritual and emotional. And so the church space may be spiritually healing, but they may sometimes need additional assistance in the emotional healing part. And so there may be a combination of supportive faith space and trauma therapy that may go along with that in order to really completely and fully recover, especially in a society where racially we are Mm re-traumatized pretty often. The absence of humility is destroying us Mm. and it's necessary. Humility is the healing balm that is missing. And so your willingness to speak out, create a safe space and encourage those members to get whatever emotional support that they might need to recover from their trauma, is all that you you need to do.
1: That's the key. I love it. So two last questions. Mm-hmm. One is if you can envision what you would love to see for the church, Capital C Church.
0: Um, mm-hmm. We are
1: located in America, but I'm going to mm-hmm. say C church, Capital C Church, Global Kingdom. If you could see the church in 20 years, the church that your children, 18 mm-hmm. and 25, correct? 23,
0: But yeah. 23,
1: 18 and 23, what church would you want them To be part of?
0: I want them to be a part of a curious church, a church that is curious. Because when we recognize that every ethnic group has the capacity to reflect a dimension of God, especially well, I'm curious. About what I may be missing about God by not being in spaces with others. So a curious church, yeah, a curious church. You know, I remember once I was in California for the summer because my daughter was doing a dance, um, dance training thing there for the summer. I was in LA for the summer, and I had gone out on a run one evening, and I ran past a storefront Spanish-speaking Pentecostal church and the doors were open because it was hot. Of course, they had no AC in there. (laughs) And I heard them singing in Spanish and I felt the presence of God. I ran right into the cloud. I mean, Mm. I felt it and I stopped and walked in the door and sat down on the back row in my running clothes, sweating and just sat in the Mm. presence. I understand some, so I understand some words, but not most (laughs) of them. And Then they were given their testimonies and the minister was speaking and I was getting a little bit, but I I stopped trying to translate in my mind because I love the fact that I felt God. I felt God and I left the room feeling strengthened for having been in the presence of God and his people without having understood everything that was even said. I was curious about the presence of God in a space that's not my norm if we would just be curious about how God is showing up in and through people who are different than me, willing to sit in the room with music that isn't my kind of music until it becomes my kind of music, deciding this year I'm gonna go attend a church where I'm the only one of something and stay there until it would break my heart to leave because I went from unknown to awkward to connected to rooted. That's the church that I want, a church that is curious about the dimensions of God that you can teach me about so that I know him better and love you better. We'll be okay if we can be humble and we can be curious.
1: Dr. Anita, I cannot thank you enough for your wisdom and what you have just deposited into us. For those that want to listen to that particular episode that you mentioned, I will put Mm -hmm. it in the show notes because it was fabulous. I loved it. And um, I'm so excited that uh, the podcast listeners get to learn from you. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you.
0: Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.
1: When we speak about being excluded, judged, or experiencing bias, we default to internalizing these feelings and seeking out someone to rectify the wrong. But what if we positioned ourselves to actively seek out those who are excluded instead of wanting someone to come and fix our story, our pain, our exclusion. Why couldn't we play a part in redeeming someone else's story? Do for someone else what you wish was done for you. Invite the shy girl from your office out to lunch. Reach out to a friend who is isolated and depressed. Be intentional to introduce yourself to someone who is a different ethnicity or a different nationality than you. Celebrate and welcome the outsider, the immigrant, the poor, and the marginalized. Need I remind you that Jesus, at one point or another, was labeled all of these things and it didn't stop him from being an inviter. Yes, these outsiders became insiders and turned the world upside down, or shall I say, right side up. Imagine what you can do when you invite those who no one else has chosen. You might just change the world. Thanks for listening in today. It would mean so much to me if you honored Dr. Anita Phillips by tagging her and thanking her for what you learned today at at Dr. Anita Phillips and at Bianca Oltoff. Two lucky winners will receive a copy of my book, How to Have Your Life Not Suck, which talks about this very topic of inclusion. If you haven't already subscribed or reviewed to the podcast, feel free to do so today. By the way, since we're talking about redeeming church, I'm going to be an inviter and invite you to the Father's House Orange County online experience. You can watch on YouTube, Facebook, or the website. And we have digital community groups around the world meeting at various times virtually every single day of the week. And we have a spot just for you. For more information, you can check out tfhoc.org. For more information about church and how you can get involved. Love you, and I'll chat next week.